entire Bible, the book of Revelation. And I would encourage you to follow along with me as we go through this piece by piece. Don't just listen to what I say. Go to the Word of God, most importantly, and check everything that I say to you. Compare it to the Word of God, because that's where the, the power is. It's not in the preacher. It's in the power of the Word of God. And seeing what God has for us today. So we start off with our text, but before that, let's have just pause for a moment for asking God's blessing on our sermon time. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we ask that you touch us. Show us how we are to wake up. May we follow what it is that you have for us today and tattoo us with your word by your spirit and transform us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, here we go. Let's go through chapter 3, verse 1. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Now we've seen that this is a series of letters that Christ is addressing. He's gone through each church. Now he's saying this is to the church in, or to the angel of the church in Sardis. This angel is kind of the overseer. He's guarding this region, this church, and Christ is addressing him to this church in Sardis. Write the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. This is how Christ is identifying himself here. The words of him who has the seven spirits. The understanding of seven is perfection. Throughout scripture, seven is always the perfect number. We see it time and time again through the book of Revelation. So the spirit, seven spirits of God is talking about the full ministry of the Holy Spirit. Christ is God. And we have the Holy Spirit and the Father. So the seven spirits is the understanding of the manifest fullness of what God is doing. And the seven stars. Sometimes it's the seven angels. Scholars differ on what exactly that means. But we know that the author is Christ. And he's addressing the church at Sardis. Now, we see that 700 years before Christ wrote the letter, Sardis was one of the greatest and wealthiest cities in the entire world. I mean, it was a grand city. It was the glory of the whole Lydian Empire. Its most famous king was Croesus, and his name became a common word because of a proverb that says, as rich as Croesus. It was a very wealthy city. Now, the city of Sardis was located about 30 miles southeast of Thyatira, on the edge of the fertile Hermas Valley. On the north side of the valley ran a long ridge called Mount Timolus. Jutting out of Mount Timolus were many spurs, each forming little plateaus. And the city of Sardis was built on one of those spurs. It was virtually impregnable. Climbing up the spur of the mountain was extremely difficult for anyone to do. The only approach to the city was from the back where the ridge of Mount Timolus met the spur. And of course, these garrisons of the city guarded it, guarded the entrance. So there was a gigantic tower on the end of the spur that overlooked the entire valley. So enemies could easily be spotted as they approached. In fact, the entire city looked like a giant watchtower looking over the Hermas Valley. Now under the leadership of Croesus, Sardis became one of the greatest cities in the entire ancient world. But because of him, it soon plunged into disaster. It became decadent in its love of luxury, money, and immorality. However, it was a famous city for a long time. Now, Sardis was conquered two times in history. It was conquered the first time by Cyrus in about 549 B.C. and the second time by Antiochus the Great in 214 B.C. In both cases... This army besieged the city. Now, part of Sardis had grown around the bottom of the spur, but the army had to defeat part of the city on top of the spur in order to take control of the fortifications. Now, one of Cyrus's soldiers was standing watch one night 
When one of the uh, Sardians dropped his helmet from the top of the tower, it rolled to the bottom of the spur. The soldier of Sardis climbed over the fortress and made his way down the cliff to the base, grabbed his helmet, and climbed back up the same way he had come down. The soldier, standing watch, realized there was a route up to the cliff of the city, and that night he gathered this select band of soldiers and followed the same path that the soldier had followed when he recovered his helmet. This band of soldiers went into the city over the wall, and because the soldiers of Sardis thought they were so secure, they left it unguarded, completely unguarded. Cyrus's soldiers then left the army, led the army into the city, and it was captured. Hundreds of years later, the same thing happened. The armies of Antiochus found a way to climb up the cliff. The people of the city were living in complete luxury and security, not thinking that any army could possibly get in there. But they were overtaken a second time because they failed to keep someone on guard. Now, this is very important to remind, re- remember because here Christ is speaking to this church. And he's saying, wake up, pay attention what's going on. You were s- asleep at the wheel the first time. You need to pay attention spiritually what's going on in your midst. Your city, you got comfortable. But reality is, you're dead. So let's, let's continue on. We have this background of the city and he's, he's speaking to this church and we have Christ speaking to them. And he says to this church, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. You know, Jesus knows the heartbeat of your church. He knows the heart, your heartbeat. He knows what's going on in your life. Now see, this church gave the appearance of being alive. They had a great reputation. They'd had a great past. Maybe they'd had some great evangelistic campaigns. Maybe they'd had some great speakers or great pastors in their past. The, the church that I uh, used to serve at was, uh, was called Midwest Bible Church. Have you ever heard of the ministry of Youth for Christ? That's where it started. Matter of fact, Midwest Bible Church in the 1940s and 50s had 1,000 people in Sunday school alone. Billy Graham was preaching there because he was the first paid evangelist for Youth for Christ. People would come from miles around to go to this church. But do you know what happened? Is the church started living on its past. And the culture around it changed. And they kept having this great reputation on what we used to do and what we would, we, the, the good old days. And everyone remembered the reputation of the church, but in fact, the church had died. They were living off this past reputation. And the reality was it wasn't alive then, at that time. But God, by His grace, revived it. See, this church had a similar reputation. It looked alive, but it was dead. I don't know if you've ever been to a museum and you've ever seen some of these stuffed animals, and you go to a display, and the animal's looking out, and, or drinking it from a brook, and it's like they look alive, but the reality is they're dead. And that's what's going on in this church. He says, I know your works. He knows there's nothing that can be hidden from his eye. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Now, where are you at? Do you have the appearance of being alive spiritually? Do you have, can you put on a front that looks like you have it all together? You might come to church. You might even serve someplace in a church. You might be at a seminary. You might be studying for something at a Christian college and everybody thinks you've got it together, but the reality is you're dead on the inside. You're going through the motions. Christ is saying, I know where you're at. I know what you're going through. And he he says some some pretty, pretty harsh words, it seems like. And he says, let's look at our text. 
We go from the latter part of verse 1. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up! Caffeinate yourself. Wake up! Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Wake up spiritually. That's what we need to do. We're asleep at the wheel. You don't realize the danger going on. So he's saying, wake up. Now, the other translations have this as, be watchful. This church in Sardis needed to be watchful of what was going on. They didn't realize the battle that was going on around them. The city was living off past fame. So this, so too was this church. And in doing so, they become lazy. So this is the first step that we need to do in caffeinating your Christianity. We need to watch for what God says. Watch for what He says. I mean, we need to pay attention to what He says. If you want to reinvigorate your faith, you need to pay attention to His Word. You need to read what He says. You need to pay attention. Look for it diligently. What's God saying to me? What is He speaking to me about my life? Watch what He says. Because this Bible can, is and contains God's Word to us. We have to watch what He has for us. Listen to what He's saying to us each and every day. And this church had failed to do that. They'd failed to pay attention. They'd gone away from his word. I've been in churches where the pastor gets up and reads a, a homily or a sermon, and nothing is from the word of God. As soon as the church deviates from the word of God and preaching from the word of God, it's, it's dead where it is. This church had forgotten that. They had pulled away. He's saying, watch, be watchful, get back to basics. What is the Bible saying? Watch for what God has for you. Now, see where I'm from. I'm from uh, East Central Illinois. It's a small little town of about 2,100 people. It's like Norman Rockwell town, where people go into the grocery store in the middle of winter and leave their cars running and the keys in the car. It's the kind of place that it is. But one of the most dangerous times of year in my, the, where I grew up is around May and June. Why? Because that's tornado season. Growing up, tornadoes were a huge reality. Because where I'm from, if you go outside of my town, you can see your neighbor, neighbor four or five miles away. There's no trees, it's just beautiful fields. And before the crops have grown up, it gets dusty. And you have to be ready if a tornado comes. And farmer, each farmer that I know has this emergency system set up in his house that it goes off if there's a tornado coming because you have seconds. I, I remember talking with my wife and we were talking about where was it more dangerous to live in Florida or Illinois? She's from Florida. She said, in, in Florida, we have hurricanes, but we know about them weeks in advance. She goes, a tornado scares me because it springs up in seconds. And as a kid, I remember being watching television, and there would, the whole program would stop, and it would come this warning sound across the television screen. It would say, there's been a tornado spotted in this area. Like, if you live here, get out now, take cover. Or you'd see this W on the screen that meant a tornado has been spotted. You have to be watchful. And it's your life. Your life is dependent upon it because it springs up. If you don't get to shelter immediately, you are dead. So here, we need to be watchful spiritually to realize this, what, what is at stake, what is going on. We have to pay attention to what it is that God has for us. He says, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. So he says, wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of God, which leads me to my second point. And that's A, accept his word about our lives. We could go around and say, hey, we're not dead. He doesn't know what he's talking about. 
It's, that's not the way it is. Accept what he says about your life and your sin. If you have a sin issue, don't try to rationalize it. Don't try to, to reason it. Don't try to point at someone else. Accept what he says about your life and what he has for you. Accept it. He's not trying to goad you. He's not trying to hurt you. He's trying to give you the truth of himself. Accept what he has to say. Many Christians don't want to do that. We are great at rationalizing sin. We are great at building excuses for ourselves on why we don't do this and why we don't do that and why we don't share with our coworker Christ and why we don't speak to our family members about Christ and why we don't read the Word of God and why we, are, we can still have this sin. I mean, we, we don't make, what did Christ say? If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Get rid of it. I'm amazed at that. People say, well, it's, it's not uh, the, the uh, like, for instance, if it's in the realm of pornography, it's, it's not the pornography, it's my heart, so I can keep it around. No. No. That's not it. Get rid of it. Get rid of it all. Flee from sexual immorality, whatever it may be. It's not the alcohol, it's my heart. It's not the drugs, it's my heart. It's not the immorality, it's my heart. Well, yeah, it is, but get out of it. Flee. Get away from it. Don't have any appearance of evil, as it says in the Scriptures. Avoid every appearance of evil. Get it away from you. Stay away from that environment. Accept what he has to say, his acknowledgement, that he says the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Accept his judgment on your life and what it is that he has for you. Accept his word. He's saying that I know your works, but you are dead. You can say, Lord, look at all the miracles we used to do. Look at all the, the people that we won. I know your works, but you're dead. Take it for what it is. He's saying you're dead spiritually. Wake up, is what he's saying. Wake up, accept what I have to say for you. Watch what I have to say and then accept it. Accept it. I mean, some of us don't accept it. We, we keep going on despite it. I remember I had a 1986 Grand Am GXE. Beautiful blue car, two-door, six-cylinder. Fast. Nice. I'm not very automotive, though, and I'm not very good at fixing a car, but you always have that family member who's really good at mechanics. My car started overheating, so I contacted my uncle, and I said, Uncle Bill, I'm having a problem. My car keeps overheating, and uh, it needs to get worked on, and I know that he had some friends at this garage. So he says, bring it over. We'll take it into the garage. So I get over there, and the car keeps overheating, and I'm having to pull over all the time and turn on the heater so it gets all the heat off of the engine. And we get in the car, and this, this uh, shop is about uh, 12 miles away. So we're driving along, and the car keeps overheating. So I, I pull over the side of the road, jack up the heat, try to get the, the engine cooled off, pull back on the road, and uh, we do this eight or nine times, and he's, he's getting really frustrated. He's like, the light goes on again, he says, don't pull over this time, just go, we're going to make it, I know it's going to make it, I'm saying, hey, the engine's overheating, I, I, I know it, it's not going to go, just, just go, it's going to be fine. So we're driving into this town, Sullivan, Illinois, and, and the, the light goes on, he says, just keep going, keep going, so I keep going, and I feel the engine start to quiver. I see smoke start to come in through the vent. You know, all black smoke. And then I see flames dancing on my hood. So I pull over to the side of the road and I said, I told you! He didn't say anything. He just called the tow truck to come and pick me up. He paid for it. He felt bad. But the point of the, the fact of the matter is, is, is he, we failed to pay attention to the warning. See, Christ is giving a warning here. We can go our own way, but if you fail to take that warning, you're going to reap what you sow. 
you say, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to turn from you, God. You don't know what's best for me. I'm going to do my own thing. He's going to keep giving you that red light. That you're, you're, you're overheating. You're redlining. You're coming to destruction. You're going to blow up spiritually. I'm, I'm trying to give you a warning. I'm trying to bring you back to me and what it is that I have for you. See, we need to accept it, what he has for us. Let's keep going. Verse 2. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. So he tells them to wake up or watch, strengthen what remains. See, the people had lost their spiritual fervor, their passion for sharing Christ with the lost. We could see this from the second half of verse 2. For I have not found your works complete. I have not found your works complete. As it says uh, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, Christ has created us for good works, to share Christ with others, to evangelize the lost, to live for His glory, to display His glory to a lost world. We're, we're light, the light of the world. He's the light of the world, but He's taken us to be light, children of light, to walk in the light, to share with others. But this, this group had quit doing that. they become stagnant, and they were relying on the reputation. So he says, remember then what you have received and heard. In verse 3, keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief. And you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Remember, don't forget. Remember we talked about this, D-O-R, the door. We talked about this time and time again. You've heard me mention it once. You've heard me mention it a thousand times. D-O-R, discipline of remembrance. God is all about remembering, us remembering what He has done and how He's led us through time and time again. All the things that He's done for us. He's saying, don't forget. But what else does He say? He says, keep it and repent. Keep it. He says, remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. What is it that they received and heard? What was the words and commands of God about concerning salvation and how to live? They become lax and doing what God had called them to do. They were no longer keeping His commands. This is the third step in waking up. We, have, we know that we have to, be, to watch what God has for us. We have to accept His word. And then we have to do it. We have to keep His commands. Do what He says. We accept what He says, and then we need to do it. Keep His commands. I mean, many people know it. They're just not doing it. He's saying, keep it. Go back, remember, and then do it. Remember and do it. You can say, well, uh, I came to Christ at a camp when I was a teenager, and uh, I'm going to heaven. And there's no evidence of holiness or Christ-likeness in your life. But you say, I'm assured, I'm eternally secure. No, you're not. Not to say that you're not eternally secure, but the sure sign of salvation means salvation consists of three things. I am saved, I am being saved, and I will be saved. It's all three together. We're going to come back to that in a minute. But here we see him saying, keep my commands. Keep it and strengthen. Keep it and repent. Turn back. Turn back to it. Keep it. Turn back to do what it is that I have for you. But, conditional word here with if, if you will not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I come against you pretty phenomenal. We don't hear about that anymore. The second coming of Christ, Christ coming, that Christ is coming. 
We don't, we don't hear about this preach that Christ is going to come. If we want to keep our faith caffeinated, we need to be watchful, accept what he has to say, keep his commands, and then realize that he is coming. We need to expect his coming. He says, I will come at an hour you do not expect, but if I'm living for him and if I'm living for the expectance of his coming, then I'm going to be doing what it is that he has for me to do. So we need to be awake. And if you're living with that, understanding that's our blessed hope, that Christ is going to come, that he's going to reward those that have followed him. Keep that in mind. It's, it's being at your work and your, your boss says, I'm going to show up and I'm going to check in on you. You're going to work knowing that he's coming. With that in mind. Most Christians don't do that any longer. They've forgotten it. They've forgotten that Christianity is eschatological. It's focused also on the end times. That Christ is coming. That it's, it's prophetic. He's coming back. He ascended into heaven in the same way he will come back down. We can never lose hope that our faith is, is geared at the end times, that Christ is going to come again. And those that have done wickedness and, and have been sowing and living for their sinful life are going to be recompensed and receive it. They're going to reap what they have sown. So we are to expect His coming. You know, I was in uh, Egypt. I was in Cairo, Egypt in January of 2006. We went to this one area that was horrible. There's no way to describe it. Remember, Egypt is mainly a Muslim nation. But there is one stream of ancient Christianity called Coptic Christianity. Uh, and the Christians there are marginalized. They're denied some jobs, different employment. And for the most part, they, they are relegated to live in one certain area, and they've become the city of Cairo's garbage people. They're called the garbage people, and they live in garbage. They live in garbage. I'm not kidding. I mean, you have it piled high up to the ceiling of garbage, and they're living in it. And they're, you have chickens in the midst of it eating on garbage, and you have goats, and they have water uh, buffalo and I mean, these things are just, people are living in garbage, and you can smell it miles away. It's so absolutely horrible, terrible. You can barely drive through it. It's so bad. And you, you look down, there's a spot that you can look down on it, and it's just overwhelming to think that someone lives in this much squalor. We have no concept of it. I remember being in Chicago, and I was walking through the city, and there was a, a, a garbage strike. The garbage men were striking, and the garbage didn't get picked up for three weeks. It was horrible. I mean, the whole city just stunk. You couldn't go down the street. and you, It couldn't get, get it out of your nose and breathe it. And that's how it was in Cairo. And to see these people living in this and eating in it and selling food in it. It's these dirt roads and these, these just makeshift brick buildings. And you're, you're just, un, you can't believe that people would live in this. But there's this church that's next door. It's hewn out of a, a cave. It seats 10,000 people. 10,000. It's got like a stadium seating, and I have these pictures of it. It's absolutely phenomenal. And all these Coptic Christians come in there to worship. And this uh, Polish man who came there to help minister to them, he's an artist, and he put in these sculptures all over, he carved it into the, the cave. And here's a picture I would like to show you. Uh, is he, you want to bring that up for me? It's hard to really draw that out, but that is Christ that he has carved out. And you can see in Arabic a scripture verse, and it says, We'll see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. See, these people live for Christ's coming. They live their life to say, this isn't the end of it. I'm not stuck in this. 
that Christ is going to come. He's going to see me in my plight. They live their life in that hope. And as we were standing there, I was with a, a film crew. Uh, we were being filmed for a television show. And that film crew had, had traveled all over the world. And they said, it's amazing how these people have such a grasp of the second coming of Christ. But we have forgotten because we've gotten lazy. I mean, we don't need the second coming of Christ and we have everything we want, right? We've gotten comfortable. We have our homes, our air conditioning. We have our electricity. We have food. We have our garbage taken away. Pretty much everything's all good. In their minds, they have nothing. And they hold and grasp onto Christ. And their faith is unlike anything I've seen. They're expecting and living in their life. They were awake spiritually. Why? Because they were living for that fact. We need to wake up. We need to watch what God has for us. We need to accept it. We need to keep His command. And then we need to expect His coming. What would you do if He came right now? He says He will come at an hour that we do not expect. What would you do? I, don't, I have no idea what I would do. No idea. But this group, He's saying, expect it. I'm coming. I'm going to come in an hour you do not expect. I'll come like a thief. And he was meaning as a terms of judgment, but we're seeing it as a, a way that we can wake up and do what it is that he has for us to live our life in the expectation of his second coming. Let's go back to the text. He says, remember, verse 3, then what you have received, what you received and heard, keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I come against you. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis. God has his remnant. He always has his remnant. A few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Yet you have still, look, look at that again, still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments. See, the, the, the concept of a garment and getting it soiled throughout Scripture is the understanding of, of being unspotted by the world, not being stained by the world. See, these people had kept themselves from the world. Not that they had removed themselves so much that they became monks. Or Amish. Nothing along that line. Nothing like that. But they had kept their, their purity in living in the midst of the sinful world. They had still followed Christ in the midst of it. And Christ says, there are a few. This remnant has done this. And they've kept their garments spotless, unsoiled. And that's the next point that I have for us. We are to keep ourselves unspotted by the world. See, those that keep themselves unspotted by the world, they're, they're their Christianity is caffeinated. They are, they are awake. They are watchful what's going on. They're sharing Christ. They're not, they're not being thermometers. They're being thermostats. We've talked about this before. Christians are usually one of two things. You're either a thermometer in that you reflect the spiritual temperature of those around you or a thermostat. You can turn it up or turn it down. You affect those people around you. As Christians, we are to be thermostats. We are to be on fire. We're not supposed to let others dictate to us. We're to be sharing Christ with them. And living our life as Christ's followers before them. So he's saying, keep yourself unspotted. And, and there's a reward in doing so. You will walk with me in white. The absolute purity. This dazzling white that only comes from Christ. When he's on the Mount of Transfiguration and his, his garments become this bleached white. I mean, only heaven white. No earth, earthly could, machine or washing could make it that way. This is from heaven. And 
walk with me. It's the understanding of restored fellowship and being with Christ. I mean, we see that without the Scripture. We've talked about this before, that the Scripture has about 150 Scripture references or subjects of walking. Walking in truth, walking in light. And we, we see it even beginning with a garden, walking with God. And that fellowship was broken. And now we have that restoration of actually walking with Christ. Can you imagine walking with Christ? I mean, what would that be like to walk with Christ and talk with Him and listen to Him and look into the eyes of the one who made me and hear the voice, the one who called all creation into being and it would be like the sound of rushing waters greater than any tsunami or waterfall. The one who holds the entire universe walking with Him and white. what a great keep ourselves unspotted by the world, but we're still missing something. Let's look at verse 5. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, this is where we get our wake up and listen up. Let him hear what the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, says to the churches. I'd like to focus on the word conquering. The one who conquers. God wants us to be conquerors, actually more than conquerors. Conquering carries the idea of fighting until the end. Of fighting. My, my mentor was the first white man to ever be trained to be an Indian medicine man. Ever. And uh, while he was growing up, he was a teenager, and someone had shared Christ with him, and he became a Christian. But he never lost his love for the Indian culture. As a matter of fact, he now runs the Native American Bible Ministries in Ringgold, Oklahoma. And he has traveled all over working with Native Americans and different uh, Indian groups. And he used to do this skit called a dog fighter, a dog soldier. And it's a story that in a battle that an Indian, Native American, I asked him the question, he says they prefer to be called Indian, so I'm going to stick with that. Preferred that. And they, they said they'd be in a battle and they'd be losing. And what it is, is the, the soldier would jump off his horse, throw his spear into the ground, and draw a circle. And that meant anyone who comes in the circle is going to die. I'm giving my last stand. I'm not leaving the circle until everything is done. I'm going to die here. I'm going to fight until the end. Conquers. And it would even instill fear in the enemies because they saw the dedication within him. Many would stop and surrender right then and there because they understood that their life, they wouldn't stop. See, it's the understanding as Christians, we're not going to stop. Though death might be there, we may not stop because we're more than conquerors. Christ has conquered death. We've been given eternal life. I mean, they can, they can only kill us, but they can't harm us. Going to glory. He's saying to the one who conquers, and what he's meaning is perseveres until the end, and that's the P in this wake up is the understanding of perseverance that the Christian walk is a battle. It's a fight for your soul. Don't you realize that? It's what kind of battle it is and what it means and what's at stake. I mean, we need to wake up and realize what's going on around us instead of being lulled to sleep by the cultural carbon monoxide that seeks to kill our soul. And that's what we are each and every day. Our, our culture doesn't allow us to be a Christian, to speak about Christ to keep it down, to make you look stupid or foolish or intolerant or some other word that they want to throw at you, uneducated. And yet we beg for the world sometimes to recognize us. Why? 
Christ said, the world has not accepted me. Why should it treat you any different? To be Christ followers means that we're going to persevere in the face of hostility. That's why Christ says, to the one who conquers, I'm going to reward you. I'm going to give you a best, the greatest reward than you could ever possibly imagine. While I was in Omaha, I spent some time with a family member who's uh, a swimmer in training. He was swimming two or three times a day. He was talking about the, the Olympian and the gold medal winner, Michael Phelps, the great swimmer. And he said he's been training for 11 years. Every day he trains. Not one day does he take off. He's always training. And I, I had to stop and ask myself, what is he trying to get? A gold medal? He gets his gold medal, then what? I mean, here, we're not getting earthly congratulations or earthly rewards. We're getting Christ reward. He says, I'll give you garments of white. I'm going to walk with you. That's your reward. You'll have me for eternity to the one who conquers. To the one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot out his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Christ himself will say your name. You know, Christ knows your name. He knows every hair on your head. For some of you, that's not very many. But he knows it. And he will confess your name before his Father in heaven. I mean, what will that be like? Before the angels, the myriads and myriads of angels, all, you will see them in their grandeur when you get to eternity. See how powerful of a being they are. Stand in awe as you stand by Christ before the Father's throne, and He will say, He knew me. He was one of mine. I have kept those that you have given me. What a great day. Do you want to wake up to caffeinate your Christianity? We need to persevere. Remember that it's a long distance race. What does that, does that mean? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 26 through 27 talks about perseverance. He says, this is the Apostle Paul speaking. He says, so I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. He says, I haven't ended yet. I could still be disqualified for this race. I could preach to others and still be disqualified. I got to persevere. 1 John 2, 19, they went out from us, but they were not of us for if they had been of us they would have continued with us but they went out that it might become plain that they all are not one of us they didn't persevere first corinthians 15 1 through 2 now i would remind you brothers of the gospel i preached to you which you received in which you stand and by which you are being saved if conditional word you hold fast to the word i preached to you unless you believed in vain or uh Philippians 2, 12 through 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Or Colossians 1, 21 through 23. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. 
if conditional word. Indeed, you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaiming, been proclaiming in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. And last of all, Second Thessalonians 2, 13-14. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification, growing in holiness, and by the Spirit, and belief in truth. To this He has called you through our gospel, that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, you are saved, you are being saved, and you will be saved. See, most people just focus on this one. You can't earn your salvation, and you're not going to lose it. But it's your sign of your salvation. It's progressing on until the end. Capstone, finishing the race, running it so you will not be disqualified. Fighting on. That's how we wake it up. How do we caffeinate our Christianity? Well, we watch for what God says. Are you watching? Are you watching? Are you keeping a watch of your life? As 1 Timothy 4.16 says, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Are you watching? Are you accepting his word about your life and the sin that is in your life? Are you trying to rationalize it, saying it's not that bad? comparing it to someone else? Are you now, are you keeping his commands and doing what it is that he has for you to do? Are you living your life the understanding that he's coming again? Are you keeping yourself unspotted by the world and are you in the race for the distance, persevering until the end? That's how you wake it up. Wake up your faith caffeinated. Don't fall asleep at the wheel. And don't ignore what God has for you. Because Christ says, I will come like a thief. I will come like a thief. At an hour you do not expect. For those that aren't watching, destruction is waiting. Just like the people of Sardis failed to watch, destruction came. Are watching Failing to watch is negligence, and it's a sign that we're not walking with God. Let us repent. Let us turn back to his word, abandoning our sin, knowing that he has the authority. He has the ability to forgive us. I was reading my quiet time today. God just washed over me the power that he has. In Mark chapter 1, I was reading how the, the man who was a leper came to Jesus, and he said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus looks at him and says, I am willing. Be clean. He is willing to change your life. For those that come to him in repentance and faith, broken and realizing how dirty and guilty and shame-filled you are, he's ready. He says, I am willing. I am willing to transform you. I am willing to forgive you of your sin. I am willing to make your life and give you purpose and make you a new creature, no matter how bad it is. No matter what other people may think of you, no matter what your past may be, I am willing, I am willing right now to change your life. I'm willing to make you into a new creation. I am willing to forgive your sins and make you a brand new being. I am willing, I am willing. Isn't that great to know that? I am willing. He's willing to change your life. Come to him in brokenness and he will 
shaped you. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we don't want to live decaffeinated Christian lives. We want to be caffeinated. We want to wake up to the spiritual situation of our lives. We want to live the life that you have planned for us. Lord, we come to you in brokenness. Lord, you know all too well our sin. That just keeps us so stained. That clings to us, no matter how hard we try to shake it. It just doesn't go away. Lord, we know that you are willing to cleanse us, to remove that burden, to give us the grace to bear up underneath it. You are willing to transform us. You are willing to forgive us. You are willing to give us new life. Lord, you're willing that we should wake up. Lord, help us not to live on past glory, but help us to be tuned to this present spiritual reality. Lord, we don't want to live on yesterday's meals. We want to live on what it is that you have for us. Give us this day our daily bread. Lord, let us not live on stale old bread from so many years ago that cannot sustain. Help us to live on you each and every day. And Lord, for those that are here that do not know you, that have never given their life to you, but feeling so convicted right now by your Holy Spirit, Lord, I pray that they simply repent, turn from their sin, embrace you. Lord, let your grace wash over them, your free gift of salvation that is there for all who will have it. Lord, I pray that you touch them and you let them be free from their sin. Let them know that they are new creatures in you, that they are forgiven because you have said so. Lord, we thank you and we praise you what you've done this day and we ask, Lord, that you help us to be always vigilant never turn from the Word of God, to never compromise in the midst of our fallen world, but to constantly go back and keep your commandments, doing what it says, accepting your judgment, realizing that you are coming again, and that you see our hardship, you see how hard we toil. Lord, help us to persevere until the end, following you passionately. We thank you and we praise you. We ask you to watch over us, give us strength, Help us to be lifted up by your love. In Jesus' name we pray.